All right, so we are in Mark chapter 4, and if you just joined us in the last couple of weeks, we're walking kind of chapter by chapter through the book of Mark, and we have, um, they're just called Mark journals, so it's just the gospel of Mark on one page and then an empty journal page um, for you to write or reflect or draw or that kind of stuff, and we'd love, uh, whether this is your first time here or not, for you to grab one if you want, take it home, um, and whether, uh, whether you're new to Mark, old to Mark, whatever, um, feel free to grab that as we walk through this together. So as we jump into the Gospel of Mark, though, um, Mark chapter 4, I want to let you know about an article that I read this week on the game of life. So you remember the game of life, spinny thing? I'm super, like it was super exciting Friday night. I was reading articles on the game of life um, in our house. So it was invented in 1860. And do you know what the original goal of the game of life was? All right, I'm going to show you the board on the game of life as it was originally invented. Looks like checkers, doesn't it? This is the original board. The, the goal was to stay alive and out of jail and just simply to live a good and upright life. Like in 1860, that was winning at life, okay? Even just, so some of the circles, I know, I know you might not be able to see some of the circles, but the, the blue one down there, if you land on that, it's the square of ambition, and it sends you down to fame, and fame is jail, right? I mean, how weird is that? Like in our 2022 thought of fame and ambition, right? So the, the two green circles, one is honesty that points you up to honor, um, and one is bravery, and it points you up to honor as well. And so you get to like jump around the board still, but, but it, it's just a totally different concept. And then the very top right, you start at the bottom left, it says infancy, you work your way to the top right, it says happy old age. Can anybody see the number? 50 years. So... <laughs> There you go, some of you. You've, yeah, well, well attained. <laughs> um, what's the goal of the game of life today? Retirement. Re- not just retirement. Next slide. It's a land called millionaire estates, right? Because you have to roll, you have to sell everything off, and you either retire to countryside acres, which is just like the paupers in their four-bedroom houses, you know, or there's a millionaire estate. It's, it's just... It's amazing to look back. It's actually a really enthralling article if you're nerdy like I am. Um, but they changed this. They changed the whole game in the 1960s and, and, and its 100th anniversary, quote unquote, to reflect modern cultural values. And so if you play the game of life, like you know, like you can be an actor, you can be a, a, a famous athlete, this kind of stuff. So just even that, like what fame was thought of in the 60s, fame thought of in the 1960s, massive different. There was a woman that I heard commenting on this, and she was just musing. and said, if the game of life was to change again today to reflect today's cultural values, what would be the goal? And, and she was musing. She's like, maybe for some people it's money, but, but for the last 50 plus years, 60, 70 years, folks have realized, hey, money actually can let you down. It's so fickle, it comes and goes. And so, so she was saying, and, and, and I'd, I'd be curious to test your opinion on this. She said that the goal today, winning the game of life, would be pleasure. Would be whatever makes you feel comfortable and happy. Is that fair? If you look across culture today, isn't that what everybody seems to be pursuing? And it's your version looks different than their version, different than her version, different from me. So the question for today is, what is what does winning the game of life look like for you? And is your definition the same as God's? 
Because here we are four weeks in, three chapters into Mark. We're entering chapter four today. And what we've seen is like there's a new kingdom coming. There's God's power, there's healing. It's just been boom, 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 thing after thing. Mark moves quick and it's been this building and this building. And today comes to a screeching halt where God, through Mark, says you might just miss it. Today, what Mark's going to do is capture this uncomfortable truth, if I can be honest, that, that many things, many, many, many things will pull us away from this whole kingdom thing that we've been committed to seek. So Jesus tells some parables, and then he ex- explains some of them. And, and here's what he says on the next slide. He says, you might miss the kingdom. You might miss the kingdom because the kingdom seems small. You might miss the kingdom because we hide it. We might miss the kingdom because we get distracted from it. Any of those resonate with you? We have this passion for God, but but other things take priority. We have this zeal to declare the gospel. We get nervous and don't. And so today, I think there's this needed warning for us each. And and as a church, as we walk through Mark together, because if our goal, we say all the time, is we want to be like Jesus uh, or be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what he did, And if our mission is making disciples of Jesus by seeking his kingdom in everyday life, then then we have to be aware, hear me, we have to be aware that in everyday life, there are things actively at work to knock us off that mission. There are things actively at work to knock us off that mission. And so we need God to pull us back to his goal for our life. And so as we've done uh, uh, most weeks here, as we've been in the Gospel of Mark, I want to ask you, as you read and reflected over Mark 4 and and some of these parables this week, um, anything stand out? Anything strike you? Anything that that you feel like either for yourself or or maybe for our church as a whole, God invite us to anything? What stuck out as you read Mark 4 this week? Anything? No things? Yeah. Yeah, strange that he speaks in parables so some won't, won't hear or literally more like they won't fully understand. Yeah. Yeah, there is a little bit of an inside kind of an invitation thing. That, that I think we're going to see, honestly, if I can speak to that for just a second, it's going to develop over the Gospel of Mark where he increasingly invites folks into more. But, but one thing that Jesus doesn't ever do is like coerce or force or he doesn't like, th- there's a, a choice element in the Gospel of Mark where I'm going to invite you to something better. I'm going to invite you to be curious about this. And some people say yes and others choose to go, well, that seems confusing and not. Yeah. Anything else stand out? Well, if you didn't read this week, we'd love for you to, to, to read ahead because, again, we just want to recognize the Spirit of God is in all of us, not just whomever prepped. Um, we'd love to hear as God shows you something that may be for our church as well. But, but if you haven't read, Jesus shares four stories, four parables, and every one of them has this truth in it about the kingdom of God. And, and what struck me this week was, was that there's beauty in each truth about the kingdom of God. But, but as I already mentioned, I, I think what really stuck out to me is this kind of a warning baked into each parable as well. Each parable has, has, has a reason that we might miss the kingdom and stray from God and his mission. 
And so today we're going to start with the last parable in the set of verses and kind of work our way backwards. I'm going to read each parable and then we'll talk about the kingdom truth and the warning in each. So we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 30. If you have a Bible or an app, open or find that. And if not, then there it is on the screen behind me. So Jesus said, this is the, the last of a few parables. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable, what story shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can nest in its shade. All right, so what's true about the kingdom of God according to this short parable? What's Jesus say? The kingdom of God is like what? Mustard seed because why? What's true of the kingdom of God? It's small. It's small, but it will grow. And, and I, mean, I just encourage us, like, look around us and, and ask, does the kingdom of God seem obvious today? And if many of us are honest, I think we'd say that there are so many other kingdoms that seem more prominent, so many other kingdoms that seem to be winning the day, so many other kingdoms that seem large, and frankly, so many other little K kings, proverbial or otherwise, that, that clamor for our intelligence. All around us, and if we can be honest, inside of us as well, our hearts yearn for things outside of God. So the kingdom is is small. But the good news is that the kingdom will grow. That's the good news on the next slide. The kingdom will grow. It is small. It is small, but it will grow. That is God's promise. One day, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven will be larger than all the other plants all the other kingdoms, Jesus will be the king over all other kings. Is that good news? It's small, but it will grow. One day we will find shelter and rest and shalom. This is what Jesus says, that the, 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 the kingdom will be like a place of shelter and rest for the birds. We'll find that shalom, that overarching wholeness in God alone with Jesus as the true king. That's the truth of the kingdom. It's small, but it will grow. And the parable before this is where we know that we can find hope for this one. Because starting in verse 26, as we back up a little bit, God's going to remind us how his kingdom grows, even if we miss it, because it is so small. Here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 26. The kingdom of God, it is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once the farmer puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. All right, what, what, is, what is humans' role, humanity's role, followers of Jesus' role in expanding God's kingdom, seeing God's kingdom expand. What's our role? What's the farmer's role here? Scattering seeds and then harvesting. Do we do any of the work? Do we, do, we, do we have the power to instigate any of the growth? No, ours is to scatter seed, and then when God produces growth, we get to go and reap the harvest. And we've got to define what scattering seed is because it's kind of vital. If we said that's our role, then we've got to know what our role is. 
Scattering seeds of the kingdom looks like, in part, displaying and declaring Jesus as if he's actually good news to us. Displaying and declaring the gospel, not just for eternity, although certainly for eternity, but also for our parenting and for our fears and for our marriages or our longing for marriage and for the, the, the daily stresses and anxieties. Is, is Jesus actually good news for those things? Do we declare, do we display, even, even in small ways, See, scattering seeds look like, look like seeking restoration. It looks like living lives of faith in public and, and not putting Jesus and church and faith over here and as if it's somehow disconnected from all of life. But what's helpful, and, and I hope freeing and relieving, is that we're not responsible for bearing fruit of that seed. After the farmer scatters seeds in the story, what does he do? He goes to sleep. I love this parable. This may be one of my favorite stories Jesus told. Because while he's asleep, God is at work doing what only God can do. The farmer wakes up, and from his perspective, the ground just did all this stuff on itself. But that's not really what happened. We know that's not what happened. Who causes growth? Who causes life? Who causes the rains and the suns and hearts to become alive to him? God's been at work. The farmer wakes up and harvests a cross that a crop cross crop that he did not produce. I have a friend who owned a lawn care business, and he would say, no matter what he did, they, they played with chemicals and not chemicals and, and organic stuff and all. The, and he would try try to reproduce the kind of watering and care for a lawn week after week, month after month, that a single rain in a season would produce, and you know this, anyone who's tried to keep your lawn alive, like one rain is just somehow magical. Again, our perspective seems, it's, it just does what we can. God is so much better at the literal, and he does the same thing spiritually. We mentioned church planting earlier. This, this little group started in 2018 and said, hey, there's like 10 of us around the table. Do we believe Fort Worth needs the gospel? Yes. Do we believe that planting churches is, is a, a means to bring the gospel to different parts of Fort Worth? Yes. And one guy goes, who's ready to plant churches together? Nobody said a word. Because these folks didn't know each other. These men and women around the table were, as a lot of kingdom, other kingdom values, worldly kingdom values are, were like, ah, well, are you just trying to get us into your thing? Uh, is there territorialism here? Are you going to try to plant in my neighborhood? This kind of, and so for four or five years... We just met together, prayed for Fort Worth together, built trust, got to know one another, cast vision, and started to pray for church planning. And I already mentioned this, but, but, but do you know the first, the most fruitful year for church planning in Fort Worth since we started? It was 2020. Um, Salt and Light was one of eight churches, eight new churches planted in Fort Worth and around Fort Worth during COVID. There have been 10 churches planted since this thing started in 2018. Two of them were before 2018, or before COVID, eight. And certainly we weren't farmers sleeping. In fact, we were all pretty stressed out. But, but certainly it didn't, look, it didn't look normal. It didn't look like we were doing residencies and doing the normal things that a church planting network would do. And yet God was at work. And God was producing growth from the prayer from the vision from the things we had been on about before. We just get to be part of that. The point is that the kingdom of God is small, 
right? It's hard to see. We have to, we have to train our eyes to see it, train our ears to hear. There's, there's a lot of competing kingdoms, yes? So we can miss the kingdom of God. But similarly, Jesus was from a town of Nazareth, which another gospel writer says is this little backwoods place in Israel. And Israel itself is this tiny little outpost of, of a massive Roman empire. And, and Jesus' first follower's charge was to declare this countercultural kingdom in the midst of a far, far more powerful kingdom that would put you to death for, for declaring the goodness of any other king. And they gave their lives, some of them literally, to display and, de- and to declare the good news of Jesus. And they did it, some of them in front of large crowds. But you know how most of Jesus' followers saw the kingdom spread? Person by person by person, one person at a time, one broken body was healed. One person's unwise belief was corrected. One person who felt like an outcast was invited in. Scatter, 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 small, small, small. And God caused the fruit, and the kingdom of God grew, one person at a time. Y'all, that's what we get to be a part of. And, and again, I get to do a lot of mission training, discipleship training with churches. And one of the things, I even heard this this week, I was up in Vancouver, British Columbia this week, and, and one thing that I heard again is that, man, the Great Commission can feel overwhelming. Anyone feel, feel that? Like it's, it's great and it sounds awesome and put it on a banner. You get to, as you're going or go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching. It sounds, yeah, absolutely. But if we're honest, in our hearts and minds, it's like, oh man, make disciples across, make disciples of all nations. That feels overwhelming and crushing. And in our minds, and, and perhaps this is because we're shaped by other kingdoms' values, worldly values, the image in our mind is, how big can it get? How fast can we go? How many people can I personally reach? And for some, you're gifted evangelists. Praise God for you. Teach us your ways. But for a lot of us, that feels really overwhelming. Bigger, faster, more feels overwhelming. But again, that's not how history shows God's kingdom to grow. Again, there's moments, yes. There's revival moments. There's this, but for a lot of normal human history, God invites his followers into making disciples, but he doesn't give us a quota. Maybe that's the best way to say it. So so a question for today, and I would love for you to wrestle with this as a household, personally, DNA this week. Who maybe, who, who who is even one person, one broken person, one unwise person, one outcast person, one otherwise needy person that you know. And not just this week, but prayerfully and over time, what would it look like for you to seek God's kingdom in that one person's life? Like what would it look like to, to scatter seed and then to pray for God to cause growth and, and for God to bear fruit in that person's life, whether it's healing or correction or inviting them in or and or saving them. That's your role in a small kingdom that grows over time. Will we, will you give yourself to that? That's the first warning. Don't miss God's kingdom because it's small.
don't miss your role in God's kingdom because you feel small or his mandate seems so big. Seeking God's kingdom in everyday life means displaying and declaring the good news of Jesus in small and simple ways, maybe even just to one person, and trusting God to give the growth. Is that fair? There's the first kingdom, don't, don't, or first warning. Don't miss it because it's small. Second warning, though. Next slide. Don't miss God's kingdom because you're distracted. Anybody feel distracted? Every single day, do you feel distracted? Here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 3. Perhaps you've heard this parable before. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some, feed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it, and other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it didn't have much depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell onto good soil and produced grain, growing it up and increasing and yielding 30, 60, 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. And then down to verse 14, where he explains this just to his 12 disciples. He says, the sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown into them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. And these are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. All right, kids and adults alike, what's true of the kingdom of God in this story? What's Jesus say? Yeah, if it really takes root, it's going to produce fruit. It's going to overflow out of us and, and, and into the world around us. Good. Anything else Jesus says is true of the kingdom or alludes to? It won't grow everywhere that it's scattered. That's right. That seems almost like counterintuitive when we think about, like, this is Jesus. And yet you look at his life and not all of his disciples even stuck with him. Uh, the, the kingdom of God is based on the gospel. Every time the, the word, word, How's that for a confusing phrase? Whenever the word word appears in the New Testament, it's, it's talking about the gospel, the good news of the life, death, resurrection in Jesus and so, of Jesus. And so those who are receiving the, the, the ground are, are those who are hearing something of the good news of the life, death, resurrection in Jesus. That's the, that's the basis of the kingdom. It's got to take root and flourish. But what are the warnings in this parable? Why might we miss the kingdom? Talk to me. What does Jesus say? Uh, Satan will take it away. Satan will blind us to God's reality. What else happens? Cares of the world. 
which is to say normal everyday life for every single one of us will tempt us away. Tribulation and persecution, something that we're not super adept to in our side of the globe. And I want us to, to, to dive into each of these because these things hit us at different times. And so just for a few minutes, I want us to consider, okay, what's, what's pulling me away? Where am I missing the kingdom? So first, first, first reason we might miss the kingdom is, is, as Carol said, Satan blinds us to God's reality. Satan blinds us to God's reality. This has been Satan's job since Genesis 1 right? If you've read much of the Bible, you know God uh, created everything perfect, and then this serpent comes in, and dis- what does he do? He deceives Adam and Eve. And it's not overt. In fact, that's what deceit is. He says, is God really good? Satan comes in and, and turns our hearts elsewhere and says, look, look over here. This is, this is shiny over here. Surely, surely there's a better way. That's, that's, his, that's his M.O., from Genesis on. He did the same thing with Jesus. In Mark 2, he tempted Jesus and said, look, look, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. I'll give you power. I'll give you riches. I'll give you glory. Our hearts yearn for things like that, don't they? Our hearts can distract us from the kingdom of God. And in the next verse, he says, trials and tribulations can cause us to fall away. There's this, there's this reality facing Western Christians today more than in previous centuries. And that is that our faith and the things we hold to look increasingly different from a pluralistic and secular society than they have in a long time. And starting in in AD 300, the church and the Western government of the time became intertwined and this, this, this era called Christendom began in Rome and then went to the UK and has been the last several centuries here. And Christendom just says that the culture reflects Judeo-Christian values. But here's the key. Christendom doesn't mean that everyone's a Christian. It just means they look religious, which is perhaps even more dangerous. But everywhere that's been true for the last 17, 1800 years, there's this eventual shift in culture where it doesn't look as Judeo-Christian anymore, and it starts to look more pluralistic and secular. And, and guess what followers of Jesus often do when they feel that shift? To be a good armchair psychologist, they fight or they flight. That's, that's what we have in our humanity turned to. And so folks left Rome and mainland Europe and went to settle in the UK. And then when the UK started to become more secular and pluralistic, guess where they came next? They were called pilgrims. Kiddos, where are the pilgrims land? Uh, what country? You don't have to be specific. There you go. Plymouth Rock, though. Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. We're on a holiday ahead. Go trick-or-treating tomorrow night. It'll be fun. Um, we've always moved or stayed and fought and stuck stakes in the ground or sometimes in other people. The shift some of us may feel it just fits in a long line of a global reality of a culture that you feel like doesn't match your values. You're, we're not first. We're Americans, so we think we're first. <laughs> it's happened in a lot of the world. We can run, we can fight, or we can live faithfully in the midst of a world that doesn't see things the way we do. And if we do that, we're living a lot like the very first followers of Jesus who who called themselves things like sojourners, 
folks who live in a land that they don't understand, and, and ambassadors, folks who are representing a different kingdom, right? We will be distracted from kingdom beliefs. Some, some of us will fall away because temptations and persecutions and frankly, just competing worldviews are appealing and, and, and our roots are more shallow than we think. In this, it might not be our heart distracting from the kingdom of God. We might, might instead say that our situation or our culture distracts us from the kingdom. Does that make sense? And finally, the, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things choke us out. I, I think if there's anything to glean from the changing goal of the game of life over the last 150 years, it's that every generation has different goals and values, and yet, in every generation, we can be distracted in a thousand ways from what matters most. Is that fair? No matter the generation, there's always things to pull us away from what matters most. So the cares of the world and riches and desires, it can kill off or hide or cover our passion and our pursuit of the kingdom of God. And yet there's this fourth group of people, the people who receive the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the word, the seed from the sower. There are some, praise God, by his grace, by the power of his spirit who hear it and accept it, meaning, meaning it drills deep into our souls. And those bear fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold. And again, maybe you're a 30-fold person. That, praise God. Maybe you're a one-fold person. Again, small but growing. We compare ourselves to the hundred or thousand-fold people and we're gonna be overwhelmed and paralyzed. God's kingdom is small, but it grows. Is that you? Are you good soil or, or, or do, do the desires and ever-changing cha- ever definitions of winning at life distract us from God? If you have ears, Jesus says, hear me. And so he skipped one parable. In that parable, we simply hide the message of the kingdom. It's designed to be proclaimed. It's designed to be brought out into the light. But, but I skipped it because I feel like the, the reasons that we hide the kingdom are one of these other two. We either hide it because it's small. You ever lost anything small? It remains hidden. You can't find it. This is my life every day. Or, or we hide the kingdom from others because our hearts or situations or the world around us has so distracted us from the kingdom that, that there's nothing really in our minds to proclaim. The kingdom is hidden to us. Either way, we hide at the kingdom and we display and declare other kingdoms and other messages. So I told you today was going to be a warning. Do you feel warned? It's kind of a downer of a day in Mark. We've been going like, bam, bam, new kingdom, Jesus is here. And now we're like... So where's the good news? Last question for the day. Where's the good news in Mark 4? As we've been talking about this, you've been thinking about this, as the Spirit's been shaping your heart and mind, where have you seen good news in this chapter? God provides the growth. That is really good news. Any other places that good news... Yeah, more will be added to you. Yeah, that's good. I want to submit to you that Jesus is better than everything that distracts us from the kingdom of God. And you may go, yeah, I believe that. And you may go, you know what? I have a hard time believing that sometimes. And I get it. There's moments where we all do. 
But, but if Satan is one of the things, one of the beings that distracts us from the kingdom of God, Jesus defeated Satan. And he did so for God and also for you. If, if temptation and persecution is something that, that distracts us from the kingdom, Jesus faced the ultimate temptation. He even prayed in the garden, God, take this cup from me. Don't let me have to go to this death. And he faced the ultimate temptation and didn't give in. He was steadfast for us when we are not steadfast for him to the point of his death. If the cares of the world tempt us, we know in places like the book of Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in every single way that we are. We even mentioned Satan tempting Jesus in the same way he tempted Adam and Eve. But unlike Adam and Eve and unlike us, Jesus stayed true to the message of God and the kingdom of God for God's glory and for your good. And yeah, while we sleep and while we're distracted, God stays at work bringing his truth to bear, seeing the small kingdom expand bit by bit by bit across the world and throughout history. So Jesus tells these stories of the kingdom of God because Jesus knew the kingdom of God. While the game of life changes goals generation to generation, that kingdom never changes. Jesus, who is the king of that kingdom, will never change. All the the things we put our hope in change day to day, generation to generation, board game to board game. Jesus is the word, the good news, the seed that God is growing in our hearts. His is the best kingdom and he's the best king. So the question for us is what will God's seed do in us? Can we pray? Yeah, Father, um, for me, I know it feels like there's different days or different hours in which I would reflect different types of soil, that other things are distracting, that other things seem like better news, that other things seem more prominent or just more overt. So God, would you make us a church family that receives your word and that it it goes down deep into us and that it overflows into the world around us? Would we be comfortable and satisfied with small ways that we notice you changing us and small ways that we see you working through us for the world around us? But God, would you not let us be those other types of soil? Would you keep us in your care? Would you provide fruit? And would you remind us that yours is the best seed, the best news, the best gospel? In the midst of all those distractions, we need you to keep us in your care. Amen. So on your table, there's bread in the middle cups, and then there's juice or wine. Wine is darker, juice is lighter. And if you prefer to have an individual, um, these are all gluten-free now on the tables. Um, but one of the things that we do when we gather is, is celebrate this meal, and it's a meal that Jesus instituted his last night with his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for me, this is my blood, uh, my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you. And, and, and what I'd love for us to just ponder for a moment together today is there's a lot of seed imagery in the parables that we just read. And seed imagery, you can ask any farmer about this, um, deals a lot and necessarily with death and life, right? 
And, and, and so as seeds go into the ground, they, they do so because a tree or um, a season has changed or a nut has fallen or whatever else. Like seeds come, come to the ground because of death. And as a seed entered the ground, so was Jesus our Lord dead and buried. But then his fruit springs up later. As God gives growth, so also was Jesus our Lord raised unto new life. And so one of the most unexpected marks of the true and better kingdom and as a guarantee of Jesus's kingship and glory, that's what we remember as we recall and declare the kingdom of God. So take the bread, dip it in the juice or the wine, remember the death, bring it up, remember the resurrection, take, eat. This is his body. This is his blood broken and shed for you. Can we say amen? Amen.